Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. This episode of The Hash is sponsored by CypherTrace, a MasterCard company. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more. All on the hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the show. That show being the hash here on Coindesk TV. Thanks for being here. I'm Zach Seward. We got Wendy O, Will Foxley, and Jen Sanasi in the house. We're going to talk about some crypto news, including something from FTX. It wouldn't be a Taco Tuesday without referencing some insanity regarding FTX. So... FTX's CEO's legal billings continue to hint at 2.0 reboot. And now we've got something from the New York Times. And I've actually got a hot take about this. Oh, I get to do the hot take first? Okay. So my my hot take is that I actually think, and again, you guys are not financial advice. I think that the reboot of FTX is going to actually be a good thing. FTX really had a lot of great products and services that were available. However, they had absolute trash management. And I think if a mature, (laughs) responsible adult can actually take the platform over and do things compliantly, be very transparent, not use customer funds for weird things, then I think that the platform does have some sort of chance to do well. That sounds like creditor talk. It does not sound like business. <laughs> no, talk. I'm actually, I'm I don't an, know. I, I am an FTX US creditor, but I, like, I'm being serious. They really had great products and services. And one thing that Sam did well was he was able to communicate to his audience and pull like, or integrate things that they wanted, which was good. However, they just were scammers behind the scenes. So it sucks. So I don't know, maybe there will be some sort of good that comes out of this. Either way, I'm probably not going to touch it and I'm not going to tell my audience about it. Did the things work though, Wendy? I mean, we they don't did. have FTX here in Canada, but I heard they didn't they really did. work all that well. They did. They did. Okay. People were hyped about it. A lot of users really liked the interface. Like the UI on FTX was like pretty slick, et cetera. I don't think it's really going to happen. I mean, I think he's exploring all avenues, right? Because JJ Ray III, his mandate is to give as much money back to creditors as possible. And if this is a possibility for doing so, then sure, put some billable hours on there and indicate that you're at least thinking about it. Whether or not this will actually happen, I guess I'm a little bit less optimistic on this ever coming to pass, but this is the man's job. He's out there to make sure that people can get their money back to the best of his ability. And I think the fact that he's considering this is interesting. Maybe it's a bit a little outside the box thinking, but bringing this back in some form may ultimately bring revenue in the door that could make creditors whole. So 
credits him for thinking it, but I don't, I don't, I don't see it happening. This is standard practice in traditional finance is like basically to screw up and then hire um, the same, but different people that also screwed up in different companies to re- to take things over again and continue to scam the public. Like we see this with the banks. We see this with hedge funds. We see this in all areas of traditional finance. So why not do it in crypto? Yeah, I, mean, I don't know about this one. So I think the difference here between like other chapter 11s in this case is that there's a clear criminal case going alongside the same time and a civil case. And it's all alleged, right? Like we haven't gone to court yet. We're waiting this October trial and the whole hearing is going on then. There are other cases in Chapter 11 where it does come out of Chapter 11 and the product is able to reboot. But typically you don't see this pairing of like a criminal or civil case at the same time. The, the most you'll see is maybe like all the people who are creditors come up on a class action lawsuit and they try to get some money out of it. Uh, the one case I would point you towards is Core Scientific, the largest Bitcoin miner, is said according to a new Coindesk article, that they're likely to come out of Chapter 11 in September. They took the last year to reorganize. No one there was really like pointed at for criminal activity or civil, act- uh, civil activity that would lead to a lawsuit. Very different in this case, right? Like We had Sam Bankman free to get like, arrested in the Bahamas and then put in jail for a few days in like, one of the worst prisons in the world. And now he's being flown up to New York and he's going to be uh, you know, indicted for all this. So I think it's a very different situation and unlikely to see FTX 2.0. That's my hot take, Wendy. I just want to say there's no actual evidence that this is happening, right? It's just John J. Ray III has invoiced for a few hours and some of the line items in the invoice say 2.0, like reviewing documents for 2.0. So no one has actually come out and said that there will be a reboot of FTX. I think though that, Will, you're right. The erosion of trust around this brand has been so much so that it would be so hard to reboot the exchange under the same name. And and so, yeah, I mean, Will, to your point, there's a lot of large brands that have come out of Chapter 11, but there has not been this kind of circus of criminal activity that has surrounded those brands. So it will be interesting to see what happens next. I think I'm with you, Zach, though. I don't think, I don't think there's going to be an FTX reboot anytime soon. I mean, the good news is ever since the 3AC guys went to OpenX, the GTX brand is now newly available. So they could go with the new, the GTX, what's after X and what's after F, G. They could just go straight to it. Yeah. Uh, why has no one brought up John J. Ray III's insane hourly rate yet? It is amazing. Good for him. $1,300 an hour. Where can I get, like, where can I get a job being a terrible person and make that much money? Well, I now, like we, 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 that much. we stand <laughs> JJ Ray the third here right. on the hash. This is, this <laughs> is the man. Club. We do not, we do not say such things. His, what is his Come name? On, John, John Jingleheimer Smith? No, not quite. Oh. Close. No, very close. That was, Wendy. Zach, you should have got that reference. That was from a cult classic to Wong Fu. Wendy, Sometimes we got I, it. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Got, we got it. Okay. It was a, I'm it was taking a, us away to Ledgerland. Let's go talk about another train wreck. Bye, Daddy Enron. Yeah, I'm here for you guys. (laughs) Crypto wallet provider Ledger delays key recovery service after uproar. If you've been on crypto Twitter for the last two weeks, you have seen one brand name plastered all along the hallways, and that is Ledger, the popular wallet service. They rolled out this new update, or were rather about to roll out this new update until all the uproar commenced allowing for social recovery of keys. Essentially, they would split up your private key into three parts and allow for a third party to be able to reassemble that part, that third party being Ledger, in the case that you wanted them to help you find your crypto. 
Now, of course, crypto is digital cash. So if you lose $5 on the street, you can't get it back. In the same way, if you lose Bitcoin on the street, you're not going to be able to get it back. This ledger device was essentially built for people who don't really trust themselves, maybe want a third party to be able to help them out a little bit. And so they'd opt into this program. It was an opt-in. You did not have to update your, uh, your hardware to this device. That did not stop a lot of people within crypto, especially in the Bitcoin circles, to be very unhappy with this product because they want all things to be non-custodial. Wendy, I feel like you have a good take on this story since you kind of sit in both the crypto land and in the normie land. Okay, so this is this is the thing. A lot of people, especially like hardcore Bitcoin maximalists, are very upset about this. And a lot of the Puritans in crypto, they're mad about this. But the reality and the severity of the situation is most of, I'm going to speak for Americans, most Americans are not tech savvy. We're, we, we heavily rely on society to do things for us. And who, like, can you imagine if we didn't have a service like this? And uh, like, it's kind of like an insurance policy. It's not a really good policy, in my opinion, just the way that the PR and the marketing work for Ledger and also to crypto PR companies are absolutely horrible for the record there. But back to what's going on, I do think that we do need some sort of service that would allow people to kind of insure their crypto just in case because humans are dumb and we make mistakes all the time. But again, a lot of people are freaking out. This is how the ledger recovery hasn't even begun yet. Like it is just kind of an idea that was talked about that was promoted and people are absolutely freaking out. You do not have to use ledger recovery. It's not something that you're forced to do. So again, people are getting upset. People are making a big deal out of it. But really, when you take a step back and you pay attention to what's happening and you like, I actually read my comments on TikTok and YouTube and whatnot. I have recommended paper wallets to people for quite some time. Nobody knows what a paper wallet is. Nobody's using it. Ledger was an industry standard, and it's going to be very hard to get people away from an industry standard like Ledger to use a paper wallet. Just something that's simply that's not going to happen. I know people are going to be pissed off about this take, but I'm a realist. I'm actually in touch and in tune with my audience and with a lot of the normie people. And I kind of stand with that. If you don't like Ledger recovery, don't use it. But there's quite a lot of people who are going to use it and need the service. Zach, Jen, any thoughts on this? You're, you're quiet. This is the time like, to jump gonna go next? We're I'm trying to like piece it out, right? I'll Not talk it. over I'll, each other. Okay, I'll Zach, you in, go guys. and I'll go I'll next. Thanks, Will. That was so polite of you. Um, <laughs> I will pick up that thread and I will say some thoughts. I think this is like the challenge that Ledger finds itself in, right? They're trying to bridge the chasm from the crypto OGs to the next wave of users. And this product was absolutely for that next wave of users. In rolling out, the announcement of this product, they absolutely alienated their true core user base, which is the crypto OGs. So I think it's actually wise of them to, to roll this back and to not try to force this change down the throats of their true customer base. People were really worried, right? This was uh, closed source code that was going to be potentially within the, uh, the ledger stack, whether you opted in or not. And the idea that you know, your keys could be sent elsewhere was quite scary to a lot of people who really take self-custody seriously. So I sympathize with some of the concerns but I do see Ledger as being in a tough spot here because they're really, you know, again, CEO Pascal, he was sort of saying, hey, this is for that next million users, right? We need to be thinking about how to get onboard people to self-custody in a way that's comfortable to them because it is scary. The idea that you could, you know, lose your, lose your funds locked into a hardware device and have no recourse for, for accessing them. I'm sure that's something that they deal with all the time. So the idea that they would take that customer feedback and try to make a service that was amenable to that user group makes a ton of sense. I hope actually after they roll this back, it ultimately gets rolled out again, but as a separate product, right? You could have, again, like sort of Ledger Lite and Ledger OG or whatever that branding might be, um, because it really is two different user groups. And the idea that you can apply one sort of cultural standard to both of those user groups was really misguided. And what, what, what was really what was sort of animating the anger 
that you saw online, perhaps rightfully so in some instances. I just want to say something really quick. People, Ledger's code is not open source. It's closed. Why weren't people pissed off and questioning that before? And then all of a sudden, Ledger recovery comes out and people are having meltdowns. One plus one equals 10 in this situation. Guys, I have a really good take. And that is that we should launch the hash advisory service for all these businesses. They come on here. Can you imagine? They tell us about their newest (laughs) product launch. Zach gives them the the cultural breakdown in crypto. Uh, We got Jem for the law side. And then Wendy just roasts them with that fact. I think think we got it. There we go. I love it. I'm I'm with you, Zach, on, on this one. I think that no one ever said we don't need this. It was just a little bit of a shock, I think, to the ecosystem when the messaging came out. I think that Ledger, you know, are, and I think a lot of crypto companies fall into this trap. We're always thinking about onboarding the next million users, but we don't know when the next million users are going to get here. And we forget about the users who are actually using the product. And so I think the response to this, to all of this has actually been a good one and could make Ledger a stronger brand in the long term, the fact that they said, okay, we're going to halt on launching this service. We're going to listen to what people want. We're going to do, I think they're doing a Twitter spaces right after the hash today at 1230 to hear more about it. And we're going to commit to more open source code before we launch this, I think is a, a really good PR response. So despite that like PR blunder, I think they're handling it really well and they're going to come out okay from this. All right. Good stuff. Market leader in self-custody. Is identifying and mitigating crypto risk a challenge? Do you need help balancing compliance issues with the need to protect against fraud? CypherTrace, a MasterCard company, can help. They work with banks, governments, regulators, exchanges, and other crypto entities to identify risk, trace the movement of crypto funds, and help comply with global regulations. Visit CypherTrace.com today for more information. Let's talk about some DeSci. So LabDAO raised $3.6 million to decentralize drug discovery. If you don't know what LabDAO is, we will get into that in just a second. So they're part of the DeSci movement, which applies decentralized technologies to scientific fields. The raise coincided with the launch of their Plex software platform, which is going to let scientists interact with the lab exchange almost create like a community for scientists is my understanding of it. And there's going to be NFTs involved to help them prove ownership of their data. And what I imagine, it's not super clear in the story, is maybe these NFTs are going to also help them prove ownership of their IP and their inventions. Zach, I'm going to kick this one off to you. What do you think of DSI? What do you think of this DAO of scientists raising a couple million dollars? Well, I'm into it. I actually have a master's degree of science in journalism. So I maybe could participate in this in a collaborative way as a scientist myself. I think DSI is actually super interesting, right? Because science as a practice is quite decentralized, quite collaborative. So finding sort of new platforms to sort of facilitate this collaboration, I think is fantastic. Uh, The fact that this experiment is being funded to the tune of 3.6 million in this funding environment, certainly notable. Uh, Got some prominent uh, crypto backers involved here, including North Island Ventures and others. So the idea that uh, DSI is something that is, I think is emerging as a narrative is interesting to me. I think it's going to require a lot more thought as to how to sort of, again, uh, coordinate this human activity across scientific pursuits, right? So the idea that this can be done by simply introducing tokens, I think may be, may be a bit misguided. 
But the idea here that you have all these uh, various platforms that can facilitate this collaboration is something that I think people should experiment more with as we go about sort of, I don't know, establishing what decentralized science can and should look like. Uh, I feel like Will probably has like maybe my, maybe a more bearish take. So I'm going to toss it to him <laughs> yeah. just to, just to get uh, fair and equal air I'm going to switch it up on you, Zach. I'm going to have a Polish take on this one. Just kidding. No, I, I think it's kind of like in the mushy middle here a little bit because DAOs do have a problem with coordination. We've seen that over and over again. We've talked about that on the hash so many times. All these different DeFi protocols that end up having some sort of DAO governance scheme. And at the end of the day, when there's a subpoena from the SEC, seems like there's always two people who co-founded the DAO that get in trouble, right? Or there's the people who have the keys who end up getting in trouble. In this instance, though, it does seem like there could be something else brewing here. The money is going to be used for advancing science, which is always great. How they're going to do that, I hope they do set up some sort of DAO governance scheme that makes sense. DAOs can have a hierarchy. I think that's a good thing. I think hierarchy allows you to make decisions, allows you to advance the project's goals. And I think for a scientific endeavor, that's really important, right? You want to do trial and error, the whole uh, like hypothesis thesis that we all learned about in like eighth grade science. You want to go through that. And in order to do that, you have to have someone at the top sort of making decisions. So as long as this DAO is able to do that, I think it could be like a cool alternative, kind of like an indie science alternative to what we typically have with like these you know, independent boards or these academic circles that typically do all our science projects for us. Wendy, your take? So I worked in infectious disease, HIV AIDS for seven years prior to being a crypto person or personality or whatever it is I do here, shock jock. And I will tell you right away that um, this company is going to have a lot of problems because of the type of because of the type of decentralized research that they're going to want to do, especially in America. America is super super strict what with what is released to the public about different types of drugs and different types of studies. So I feel like they're going to have a lot of regulatory issues here in the U.S. Um, I do think that this is a good idea because it is important to be able to present your findings, especially when we're talking about outliers for different things. Like one of the th red flags I see right away, I went to their Twitter page and they for their link. They've got a link tree. Don't use link tree, guys. Come on. That's trivial. Don't do that. But other than that, I think it's cool. I think it's interesting. I just hope that I think they're going to get a lot of pushback in the U.S. because of regulatory stuff, because we are literally the worst when it comes to healthcare in the world. But Jen, I saw your hand up. First of all, don't dump on the scientists for using link tree, Wendy. They're busy solving the problems of the world. If you can't, if you cannot use the proper links, how can you solve the problems of the world? <laughs> um, I don't know anything about the regulation when it comes to drug discovery, but I think it's interesting when we, when we talk about NFTs and science, we talk about so much, we usually talk about creatives and art and creatives who are getting together and using NFTs to, you know, maybe represent the part of the song that they created and, and for them to be able to get royalties and credit for that song. And when we apply that to, drug discovery or scientific discovery, I think that could get really interesting. I think the parallels and the use cases are very, very similar. If you think about discovering, I don't know, like a drug that cures some kind of disease or a drug that can be used to cure a disease that was previously being used to cure something else. I think if we start attaching NFTs to different parts of these discoveries, it could be really interesting and solve some of the pain points that scientists are experiencing there. But that's just my take on it. And as you know, I don't really know a lot about how that process works, but I feel like there are similarities. Zach? She may be the partial lawyer on the show, but she is not also the partial scientist on the show. Yeah. So just, I mean, there's only so much that one person can do. There's only so much we could do. There's only so much. There's only so much. All right, let's shift gears. So we're going to go to Bitcoin. We're going to talk about ordinals. So ordinals, it's a protocol that provides 
inscriptions onto the Bitcoin blockchain where you can put images and other fun stuff into the OG blockchain. Ordinals are popping. They're surging. They're going wild. They seem to be here to stay and they are climbing in volume, at least according to new data generated by Crypto Slam. So yeah, let's talk about the Bitcoin NFT phenomenon. Certainly has not been without controversy. You had uh, Eric and Udi on stage at Bitcoin Miami last week, dressed as wizards, stirring up all sorts of chaos and trolling the Bitcoin laserized tribe into angry rants that have been distributed on Twitter.com. So anyway, I'm going to toss this to Will. I think Will has a couple of ordinals uh, in his back pocket. What do you think? What are you seeing as it relates to the Bitcoin ordinals conversation? Yeah, I'd like to take a moment and market my ordinals if that's okay. So if anyone would like to purchase an inscription, no, I'm just kidding. Well, no, come on now. We, we went from consulting services to just direct ordinal sales. Consumer come on, this, sales. Is, this, is, this is too much. This is too much. Shut it down. And we do it all. We do it all here. Yeah, we do. We do. Uh, no, okay. So ordinals are hot right now. And they've kind of already gone through like three sort of waves, maybe even four at this point. So like the introduction in January where they popped off. And then about two or three weeks ago, we saw a really big surge uh, on top of just like mainstream ordinals. Then we saw this inscription fab with BRC20 tokens, which are similar to the ERC20 token standard on Ethereum. Similar in name, not so much in practice. And then recently, we've seen image-based uh, ordinals taking off again, which is sort of like your frogs here, or I guess on the right of me, there are some uh, Bitcoin punks. These things are selling for a lot, and the volume is starting to eke up a little bit, getting closer to what Ethereum's NFT marketplace is looking like. And the reason why for that, I would say, is twofold. One, there's been a lot of projects that have spent the last three or four months working on Ordinal's compatible wallets. So a Bitcoin wallet that's able to interact with the Ordinal ecosystem took a little bit for that to occur. Beforehand, you had to interact with a command line, do it on your desktop. Really hard to do. But there's a lot of great wallets out there now, a lot of great places you can go check out like Ordinal's Hub that will allow you to really be a participant in this system. The second is I think that people are liking the feel for Ordinal's. I kind of like how fresh it is. I think there's a lot of people in the Solana ecosystem or Ethereum ecosystem who want to play with Bitcoin. They have Bitcoin anyways, so why not play around with it? And they're doing it for the first time in quite a while. So those are the two reasons I'm seeing for this fresh surge. Jen, I'll throw it over to you. I think people just want to have a piece of history. Like if we think back to 2021, everyone was scooping up these NFTs for so much money. There was like Jack Dorsey's original tweet sold for millions of dollars. The, the hype was there. And now NFTs are on Bitcoin. It is completely new, completely novel, different than what the Bitcoin maxis won and what the Bitcoin white paper laid out. And I feel like people are excited about that. And they want to be able to look back and say, I had one of the first NFTs on Bitcoin. And so that's why I think we're seeing these numbers, Zach. Yeah, I mean, it's also speculative fervor, right? Like there's an expectation that these are going to stick around. There's the expectation that these might become super valuable the way some of those early Ethereum NFTs did. So I think that also is obviously fueling some of this excitement and some of this activity. But I think Will's point is probably correct. Like some of the infrastructure is being built out because previously it was pretty complicated to uh, inscribe one of these things. Um, so the fact that some of these, uh, you know, marketplaces are emerging, we saw Magic Eden, right, which is a pro predominantly uh, Solana-based NFT marketplace, you know, rush to get into the Bitcoin ordinal sphere. Um, some of that infrastructure is starting to emerge along the wallets as well. So I think that is key uh, in terms of facilitating sort of the long-term stickiness of these things. But, you know, also just, again, speculative fervor is sort of a feature, not a bug of the crypto space. And you're seeing that certainly pick up around ordinals for sure. Wendy, what are your thoughts? 
Wasn't Bitcoin very speculative when it was created and used in the early days? I mean, who like who are the who are the maxis to tell anybody what they can and can't do on Bitcoin? Bitcoin is open source. It's for people to be able to build and to do different things with. You get to do like to me when we're talking about Bitcoin, Bitcoin is is whatever you want it to be. It was created for the people by the people. And now that we have this toxic group that is just out, they're absolutely they're they're animals. They're absolute animals. They're doing nothing but push people away from the actual network. Um, from the actual idea of Bitcoin, from learning about the history of money. And to me, it's just very embarrassing. I mean, if they want to be mad about something, why not be mad about Lightning Network? Lightning Network is a layer that sits on top of Bitcoin, which is not as secure as Bitcoin. And wasn't that something that we should be concerned about? The whole reason why we like Bitcoin is because it's one of the most secure networks. So I don't know. I think ordinals are really cool. I think that there's ways that we can kind of work together to keep making Bitcoin fun again, to keep getting people excited about it. But I'll tell you, the community that I came from and my personal background and the demographic that I'm from, my people, the underdogs, we're not interested in that tribal behavior. It's actually very off-putting and it makes people that grew up how I did not even want to deal with crypto, not even want to deal with Bitcoin. And it's just like if you want adoption and you want people to learn about the importance of money or the history of money and the predatory practices that are happening, be a little bit more welcoming and just don't be a jerk. I don't know. Just my thoughts. Don't be a jerk. I think we can all agree there. I mean, we got Will. He's like, yes, I'm in agreement. His nuggets won last night. He's a happy camper. So I think yeah, we're can just we spend gonna... three seconds on that? Just yeah. Oh, about, boy. Let's, go. let's talk about... Yeah, let's talk Maybe about Denver. Absolutely back. dominating the Los Angeles Lakers in a four-game sweep to go to the finals for the first time in franchise history. Sweep. Will, what's up? I'm just really happy right now. So that's We all. need the sports desk, White. Well done. We do need a sports desk. I I'm wonder if they can do it. Set. Yeah, we got 20 seconds. All right. Well, I can't hear anything <laughs> at the moment, so I'm just going to talk and wrap this show. That's it for the hash today. Thanks so much. I'm Doc Seward. That's Will Foxley. We got Wendy O. We got Jensen Assey. Hopefully you can hear me as well. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks so much for being here. Bye, folks. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. You can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade or at least grab an extra latte after getting a Chime checking account with features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, no minimum balance requirements, and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at Chime.com goals24. That's Chime.com goals24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply.